Hey, uh, we are glad to be home too, and this is our home. You know, this is our home church, not only that, but it's home, and I always feel at home here. It's funny, when I go and speak in other places, which I do from time to time, I'm always like a nervous wreck. And then here, it's like, I just feel at home. You know, you're not usually nervous when you're at home, right? If, if you're nervous when you're at home, something is wrong, right? There's something wrong back on the home front. But uh, we, we feel comfortable here. It's, it's not that I, I'm not concerned about sharing. It's just that I feel that this is home, so... And you're my family. But we had, a, we had an excellent time. Uh, it helps if I turn this on. Here we go. Right there. Uh, you know, Israel's about 6,000 miles away from here. And it takes forever to get there. But I just wanted to uh, give you an idea. This country, we hear so much about it, really, but we really don't know. But it's in the news all the time, and, and I really believe it's at the center of God's whole plan and purpose for this planet. But you, you can just see, you know, this, uh, this tiny little country. There's Syria, where you hear all the ISIS and everything, and, and uh, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, <clears throat> surrounded by all these countries that pretty much do not like them. And then this whole uh, lighter portion here and also the Gaza Strip. This is the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, which is, is uh, under Israeli control, but it's, it's basically uh, uh, Palestinian uh, territory. And, and so there's a wall that goes all the way around this whole territory, both of these territories. And when you're driving uh, in the country, you're on the, there's a highway that runs right by the wall. You can look and see the wall. There's tension there. There's tension always there. It's just the way it is. But when you're there, you're kind of used to it because this is, you get used to living a certain way and, and uh, we really had no trouble there. But I just wanted to point this out. This is where, oops, you won't see that yet. That's, that's the surprise. This is Beersheba. They spell it Beersheba sometimes in the Bible. And that's where Anthony and Irene live down in Beersheba, which is in the south. And this is all the Negev Desert. This is all the desert. The Dead Sea over here where you can float without floaties. And, uh, and then Gaza Strip where they were firing rockets. Well, they're not firing so many rockets anymore. It's a, the attacks have changed. You know, if you listen to the news, now it's, it's mostly children, really. 15-year-old was the last one I heard. 15-year-old grab a knife and go out and try to stab someone. And, and uh, it's not easy. But we did have a, a good time. We... we uh, we went, uh, we didn't go to Jerusalem this time, we went up to Haifa, and we also went to Nazareth this time, and we had a, a great time. There was a, a guest house, a Christian guest house in Haifa, right uh, on the shore, and it was warm enough to go outside. It wasn't warm enough to swim, but it was warm enough to go outside and, and walk on the shore, and we had a, a great time there. And then one day we went to Nazareth, and there's, Nazareth is a very, very, uh, densely populated city, and, uh, but right in the middle of all this densely populated city, there's a place they called uh, Nazareth Village, and it was like a recreation of what Nazareth used to be like in, uh, in Jesus' time, and it was, it was really cool. It was, uh, it was awesome to go there and visit that. But, so that's, uh, that's pretty much, we went back and forth a couple of times and, and just kind of hung around and had fun with the kids, and these are it's a little dark with this camera, but you can see 
This is actually taken in the, a at the Nazareth village in the recreation of the tabernacle. Uh, of, not the tabernacle, the... Uh, <coughs> the um, no, the uh, synagogue where Jesus went and spoke and, and said, you know, this day these words are fulfilled in your hearing. And it's a recreation of that synagogue anyways. And, uh, but these kids are like insane. I mean, you can't tell. It's hard to see, but he's got like a stick and he's making like a, uh, a bow and arrow. Can you kind of see that? It's hard to see it. But he, and that little face, it, it's, it's not bright enough, but his face, he's got that face. It's like, I'm going to get you. And, uh, but we had, we had a great time there, and I, I just wanted to, uh, to say that. What I want to talk about today, though, I, I, uh, because of the uncertainty of the storm and because of the certainty of jet lag, uh, I decided to put that message that I had sent out an email about uh, off till next week. I think, I'll, I think it'll make more sense. Cause I, uh, but but I, was, I, was, I prepared this message for Israel and uh, they have their church on Saturdays, and uh, so we gave uh, this message on Saturday a couple of weeks ago, and I say we because uh, I spoke in English, and then Anthony translated, he was standing next to me translating into Hebrew, and then there, were, uh, there was somebody else uh, in the crowd who had a little microphone translating it into Russian, and somebody else translating by the same way into Spanish. So you got four languages going on all at the same time. Typically they speak in Hebrew and then it's translated into the three other languages. So you wear headphones. When I was, you know, when we were there, we'd, we'd listen with headphones to the English translation. So it's kind of an interesting uh, 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 setup and, uh, you know, Kind of, kind of like our church, but it's about the same size as our church. But, you know, there aren't many churches, many Christian churches in, in the area. But uh, so we, uh, we, we talked about this. It kind of is a follow-on, really, from what I was speaking about before. Can I, can I talk to you after? It was kind of a, a follow-on because we were talking about proclaiming the good news and about our story. And, and uh you know, I mentioned this verse, Revelation 12, 11, and, and, I, and I was just thinking a lot about it, and I wanted to share that with, with them. But the question that I want to ask you today is, do any of you ever face any battles in this life? I'm sure that doesn't apply to anybody here, except maybe Barbara. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Mom. I have a couple of different moms. And... Uh, I'm just thinking that battles, you know, there are some battles that, that we have caused ourselves. There's a lot of different kinds of battles right in this life. Some are just life. It's just the battle of life, the battle, battle to get up out of bed this morning. How many of you faced that one? You know, you got to go out there and shovel today like you couldn't do it last night. It was too late. But there are some of them, and many of them, I think, are spiritual battles, and they don't always come with name tags on them, right? Okay, this is a spiritual battle. Fight it with spiritual weapons. It doesn't always come like that. I think we have to just pray and ask God, like, God, show me and open my eyes. Give me discernment to know. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that as the Bible talks about it, is that we have an enemy. We are in a war. It's a spiritual war that we're in. And I think sometimes in my own life, I know this, is that when I, when I have no clue where this battle is coming from, that's, 
that's usually sometimes anyways, it's an indicator that it's a spiritual battle. That I'm being, I'm in some kind of a war, some kind of an attack, some kind of a battle. And, you, and, and I want to say to you today is that you can't, and I can't fight those kind of battles in our own strength. There's no way you're going to get, you're going to get beaten every time. I've tried. But as followers of Jesus, so how do we fight? Ephesians 6, we talked about that a number of weeks back, the armor of God. We need the armor of God, the, you know, the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod with the preparation of gospel of peace, the, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We need all those things. But in the book of Revelation here, there's some more help for us in this battle. So let's go ahead and turn there to Revelation chapter 12. If you haven't already turned there, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says this. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Let's read that one more time. They overcame him, the enemy. How? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Three very powerful things he talks about here in this battle that you, that you face, that I face. Three very powerful things. And, and this is not something that the enemy wants us to know about, Right? The enemy doesn't really want us to know how we can defeat him. But it's so very clear. And again, we, we try to, as Alex said, we try to obey the word of God, follow the word of God. But Revelation, if you look in verse 10, the, the, uh, the verse just before, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. The accuser of our brothers, I've heard it's called the accuser of the brethren. Now that doesn't mean just the brothers, it means the brothers and sisters, obviously. The accuser of the believers. This is one of the things that he does, right? He, he gives accusation against us. He sends condemnation, he sends ridicule our ways. And, and I don't know about you, but do you ever feel that? You're just like feeling like condemnation being thrown at you? Like, you, you're, you, who do you think you are? This is his thing. And look, look what it says there. He says he accuses them before our God. How often is it? 24/7. Yeah, day and night, 24-7. 24-7, day and night, this condemnation, this accusation, but it says that the believers, they overcame him. And this word to overcome means to conquer. It means to prevail and to get the victory. That's what I believe God wants us to have. Now, you say, well, you know, I, I don't like talking about Satan. And, and you know what? I don't even like talking about Satan at all. But, but the reality is that we're in a war. And we need to... We need to just face up to that fact, and, and I don't want to focus on him any more than you do. I've told you my story where, you know, we were involved in a group, that's all they focused on was, you know, fighting Satan, and Satan was under every bush, and, 
and that kind of thing. And you know what? It's, it's unbalanced. But it's also unbalanced to never acknowledge that we have an enemy. That's also unbalanced, right? So, so let's look at these, these three points here in this verse. Number one, it says that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. You know, it all begins with the Lamb. You know, for you and I as human beings, um, the human race, it all begins with Jesus. It all continues with Jesus. It all ends with Jesus. It all wrapped up in Jesus for you and for me. That's why, you know, we've just looked at the whole, you know, coming of Jesus at Christmas time. And, and what I was so impressed by is that there's none like him. There's none that that are in the same category in any way, shape, or form. And, and so when, when we as humans reject this Savior Jesus, you know, we're, we're like trying to slap God in the face. It all begins with the Lamb. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, what did he say? Anybody remember? Behold the Lamb of God. Who what? Who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, he says here that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. John the Baptist said it. That blood that was shed. Looking ahead to the cross where Jesus shed his blood for you and for me. Where he gave us forgiveness. He took away our sin. And he took it upon himself. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. We saw that in, in Luke, where the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. You say, well, how are you connecting all this here? Well, isn't, isn't that it? The Savior came, he gave his life, he shed his blood. And in that, in the cross, in, in his blood and in, in what he did for us, is how we overcome the enemy, is how we fight back this battle that, that, of accusation, of ridicule, of condemnation. You see, it's not in something that I did. It's in what Jesus did. That's always the truth. It's always the truth. It's what Jesus did. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. See, these are very wrapped up together, the, the shedding of the blood of the Lamb and the forgiveness of our sin. The blood of Jesus, our Savior. See, the enemy can't stand it because of what Jesus did when he shed his blood. He can't stand that. I like what David Guzik, the pastor in Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara, said. He said, we, he said, we may be even worse than Satan's accusations, but we are still made righteous by the work of Jesus on the cross. Think about that. His accusations, you know what, they're not all made up. But the truth of the matter is that the blood of Jesus covers us and forgives us of all, washes us, cleanses us from all of our sins, past, present, and future. The enemy, is that he can make accusations all he wants to. But the blood of Jesus covers us. And we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. 
thinking about this, so, you know, and, and, and I've been around a while, and, and, and David Guzik also points these two points out, is that it's not a magical potion. I think sometimes we kind of use all the, you know, I'm going to use the, I'm going to invoke the blood of Jesus. It's not, it's, it, it's not like that. It's a reality of what Jesus did on the cross, you see. It's not a Christian abracadabra that uh, he says, that we just chant the blood of Jesus, the blood of... It's not, it's not like that. It's the reality of what Jesus did on the cross. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but some people, you know, they just use these words, and I'm just going to say them over and over and over again. You don't need to. The blood of Jesus covers us, washes us, cleanses us, and there's therefore now no more condemnation for you and for me, for those of us in Christ Jesus. The reality of what Jesus did on the cross, the victory of his, of his death, that his blood was shed for us, the cross and the resurrection, the sin and the death. And Satan defeated by the blood of Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, and I'm thinking about this from my own life, you know, that doesn't mean when I, when I, when I plead the blood of Jesus in, in my life. But not just as a, again, as a formula, but thinking about what it is that Jesus did, that he shed his blood, that he died on the cross. The enemy cannot stand that, you see. I want the blood of Jesus in my life because that's what cleanses me. I'm a sinner, but I'm washed and I'm cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Now, that's the first point that he makes there, the, the blood of Jesus. We're, we're overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. But to get to the second point this, of this is by the word of their testimony. And, and, and this, I think, is so important to realize that without number one, there's no number two. Right? Because the word of our testimony is that we came to Jesus Christ and he forgave me. The Savior came into the world. His blood washes me, cleanses me. The blood is applied to me personally. You remember in the, in the book of Exodus, right, at the, uh, uh, chapter 12, in the, in the time of the Passover, what did they need to do? They took the blood and they took uh, the, the hyssop and they, would, they sacrificed the lamb. It had to be a lamb without spot, without blemish. They would dip the hyssop and they would put the blood on the, the, the doorpost all the way around the doorframe. And, and the destroying angel who would pass over, that's where the name Passover comes from, would pass over that house and, and the, the firstborn would be spared. But if they didn't apply that blood to the, to the doorposts, no Passover. See, we can believe in the blood of Jesus, but if we don't apply it to ourselves, if we don't have this personal relationship with Jesus, it's no good. You remember, the, you remember the, in the book of Acts where these uh, the guys were trying to be exorcists, right? And they were trying to cast out demons, right? And they said, you know, you know I, I you know, command you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And what happened? They got beat up and chased around because and, and they, they didn't have a person. It wasn't personal. It wasn't real to them. The, the demon said, you know, well, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but you, like, you don't even... You've got nothing. 
It's got to be a personal relationship. It's got to be the cross applied to me, the blood of Jesus cleansing me, so that we can say to the enemy, you know, you can accuse me all you like, but I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. And again, some of his accusations are true. Some of them are not true. It doesn't really matter. What matters is that we have a relationship with Jesus That's what our testimony, that's what he's talking about here, this testimony, this word of our testimony. And that word testimony, I looked it up, it was very interesting, and it it means kind of what what you think about in a court of law, where someone would give sworn testimony, right? It's evidence. So by the word of the evidence, they could overcome the enemy by the evidence in their lives. What kind of evidence? The evidence that Jesus was in their lives. The evidence that Jesus is in my life. That's what's going to overcome the enemy. Does that make sense? Some of you are out shoveling a couple hours this morning. I know it's, I'm tired. This evidence given that, that, that the work of Jesus in my life, it's not what I can do. It's the blood of the lamb that's been applied to me. It's my story. You remember we talked about the woman at the well, and, and she, she went back to her town, and she said, listen, uh, you know, Jesus told me everything I ever did. She had testimony. She had evidence that Jesus you know, changed her, that Jesus came, was there in her life and was speaking to her, and there was some reality of truth there. I remember hearing this years and years ago that this idea about evidence that if there was a charge against you and I for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? See, if there's no evidence in our lives of being followers of Jesus, the enemy is going to run roughshod over us, right? But if there's the power of Jesus in our lives, a, a, a true living relationship with Jesus. Is that possible? Yes, it is. Is it mystical? It depends on how you define that word. But I think it's real. I know it to be real. And and I'm going to celebrate 40 years coming up in September of walking with Jesus. You know, Another interesting thing as I was looking at this idea about testimony going back into the Old Testament, that's not the same Greek word, obviously, but they, it means the same thing. Because they talked about the tabernacle or the tent of what? Of the testimony, right? And then they talked, you can go back and look this up, they talked about the ark of the testimony found that fascinating. Why? Because, because in that, uh, you know, in those chapters where speaking about the tabernacle of the testimony and, and the, the ark of the testimony, it spoke about the presence of God being right there. That's where they would go and meet with God. But you see, now for us in the New Testament, it's the, the, the testimony is the evidence is God in my life. Not God at the tabernacle or at the ark in that that one specific location, but now the Holy Spirit. God, Jesus in my life. Jesus in me. That's powerful, you know. That's powerful. Again, we talked about this a few weeks back. You don't need to be an evangelist. You just need to be honest about your life. First of all, is there something real in your life? If there is, 
Who else knows your story better than you? Who can tell your story better than you? Nobody. But if there's not much reality and there's not much story to tell, then we need to get on our knees and, and say, God, I, I, I want, I want a evidence. I want proof. I want you in my life. I want to take a couple minutes here now <clears throat> just to, to, to talk about my story. Then Paula is going to take some time and talk about her story. And because it is powerful. It is powerful. You know, and, and it's not, you know, sometimes you hear people's testimony, right? And they talk about all the bad stuff they did and everything. Well, what, what is the evidence? The evidence is a changed life. The evidence is Jesus came in your life and actually did something. That's the evidence. That's the testimony. Well, it's okay to talk about how bad you were. And some of you were really bad. Not me. No, I was really bad. But Jesus did something in my life, you know. I tried to tell my brothers and my sisters, my sister, you know, Jesus, I, I, I'm nothing special, but, but God came into my life and did something. And he can do it for you too. But I grew up, and some of you know this, and some of you don't know this story, but I'll, 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 I'll give you a brief rundown. I grew up in San Diego, and... Uh, my father was from New Hampshire. My mom uh, was from, uh, well, she lived in New York City from the time she was about four. And, and uh, just before I was born, uh, they moved to San Diego. And, and so I was raised in San Diego. I was born and raised in San Diego. But my, my family, they had uh, six boys and two girls. And, and the six boys came first. And then the two girls were last. I think maybe they're trying to get the girls. I, there was actually one more child that didn't make it many hours. I had a twin sister. And uh, I wonder sometimes what that would have been like had she survived. But uh, she passed away uh, not too many hours after birth. So there's really nine kids. And, uh, you know, my father uh, was not a good person. And he was an alcoholic. He was just a, not a good guy. He's not a, not a good person at all. And, and uh, I have forgiven him, and I continue to forgive him because I need to. We need to walk in forgiveness, right? But basically, uh, my parents got divorced when I was about 10 or so. And I can still remember. I mean, these things don't go away, right? I, mean, I can still remember being in my bedroom, looking out the window. It was raining and I was crying and thinking about when is he going to come back. Now looking at it now, I'm, I'm saying thankful that he didn't come back because he was not a good guy. Anyways, uh, it's not about him. But, but so, so my mom, uh, she was half Yugoslavian and half Greek. She's a tough cookie, but kind of a close, kind of not very outgoing, not extremely friendly uh, demeanor. Uh, but she worked hard to take care of us. And she would be out working, right? So she had to get enough money to pay for all those kids and, and to buy us food and everything like that. And we were on uh, uh, state aid, welfare, whatever you called it back then. We, we were on all that stuff too, and we, we had to have that to survive. But because she was out doing other stuff, we were kind of on our own. And you know what they say when the cat's away? 
Well, that's what happened. I mean, it was trouble. There was trouble. And my older brother, I, th- I was number four. I had three older brothers, and all they did was get into trouble, I think. And, and they were each very different personalities, and they got into different kinds of trouble. And, you know, then they kind of shared all their troubles with me. And kind of, I, I was kind of stuck in the middle. I was many times, I had to take care of the younger ones while they're out getting into trouble. And the, and the, uh, <clears throat> the police cars were always in front of our house. That's embarrassing. I don't know about you. That's embarrassing. I'm still embarrassed by that. It's not something I'm proud about. One of my brothers, and, I, and maybe more than one, would say, you know, that was so cool. What is cool about that? The police are in front of your house. You, you come home from school, and the police car is there. You know, it's just, it gives you this sinking feeling. And uh, I remember one day I was sick, and I stayed home from school, and the police, the detectives showed up, and uh, they, they tore the house apart looking for drugs because my oldest brother was a big-time drug dealer, and he had it hidden in the wall, and they didn't find it. They didn't have dogs back then. Uh, but, but, you know, what a feeling that was. So anyways, uh, anyways it, it just kind of spread, and one of my brothers ended up being in prison for most of his young life. Uh, all kinds of, uh, of drug and alcohol issues and problems, uh, all kinds of stuff that happened. And, and uh, so fast forward to the time when I, when I uh, was in college and I, and I had uh, transferred from college in San Diego to college in Santa Barbara. And uh, I came home for the summer and uh, a friend uh, basically told me his story. And he told me this. He says, you know, I was, he said that his marriage was falling apart, completely falling apart. But they turned to Jesus. Somebody had told them about Jesus, and they had turned to Jesus, and, and basically God rescued their marriage. And so he told me that story, and I'm going, okay. And he had been helpful to me when I was younger. Before he was a believer, he had taken me into his home and, and uh, you know, tried to give me a chance when I was about to get locked up myself for drug-related issues. And uh, he kind of stood up for me. And uh, so... He told me there was a church that we could go to, that I could go to. And, and I said, okay, well, I got to lose. So I went to the church, and I can still remember hearing about Jesus there. And, and these people just had something. They had something I knew that I did not have. And uh, I, I was there, and, and I can remember sitting in, in Linda Vista, this part of San Diego, and, and here, and there was an, an invitation to accept Christ. And my heart was like beating so hard, but I, but I fought it, and I said, no, no, I don't think so. And I walked out of there, and I went back home, and I went back to school. And I was back in Santa Barbara, uh, and it wasn't more than a month or two when I actually was fed up with school, and I dropped out of school. I mean, I didn't have much discipline. I didn't, you know, I wanted to be this and wanted to be that, but I didn't really have a lot of discipline. I dropped out of school, and I ended up, uh, and I've told you this before, washing dishes in the Holiday Inn. That's a real step up. 
I, was, I, I had a scholarship. I, was, I wasn't stupid. I wasn't a genius, but I wasn't stupid. I had, and because of being from a low-income family, I had a scholarship that was paying for all the college and housing and everything. And I, and I left it all, gave it away so I could wash dishes. And finally I said, you know what, this is ridiculous. I'm going home. I'm going back to live with my oldest brother who was the big drug dealer and, and uh, he, had, he was driving a Porsche and, and living in a big house and all this stuff. So I went back home, but I wasn't back home for more than a couple of weeks when I, started, I went back to that church. And I started going every week. And finally I said, you know what? What do I have? What do I have to lose? So I'm, I'm going to give Jesus a chance in my life. And I asked him into my life. And you know what? He came in. I said, if you really are who they say you are, then prove yourself to me. And I went forward and I prayed that prayer. And, and you know, I didn't feel like any lightning bolts right then. But the next day I woke up and I knew something was different in my life. Inside of me, something was different. And I tell you what, that's almost 40 years ago to, uh, in September 1st. And, and uh, Jesus has been proving himself to me over and over and over again for all those years. And he has been so faithful to me. And he, he has forgiven me. He has washed me. He has given me hope. He's helped me to, uh, to, to have a hope and a future that I did not have before, honestly. He's done incredible things in my life. He's helped me to be a, a husband and a father. I didn't have any of that stuff. I had none of it. But he's been a father to me. And he's provided people to help me to be the things that I needed to be. I'm not perfect. I haven't gotten there yet despite what you might think. Not you. But God is still working in me. But he has done an incredible thing, you know. I mean, if you knew, I've tried to describe it, but if you knew what it was like back there in the late 60s and early 70s, you know. But Jesus has been my Savior and my Lord and and my God, and all these years, and, and the enemy has no claim over me anymore. He did, but no more. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb. Why? Because of what he did in my life. Why? Because I applied that love and that blood to me. And he changed me. That's my story. That's a, a short version. You all have a story, I hope. Now, uh, Paula is going to come and talk about her story a little bit. She's short. But she's tough. <laughs> It'll make sense in a minute. Um, <clears throat> he called me. He, he came here, and then he called me at about 730. He said, so you want to give your testimony this morning? And I was like, for real? I've been up since 3.30, and I can't even think straight right now, so hopefully it's going to just flow right out of me. Um, you know, when Anthony, when they did this, when we did this in Israel, Anthony gave his testimony. I didn't give mine. Anthony got up, and he shared his testimony. And, you know, as a mom, you're, you're hearing the story. You kind of lived the story. You watched... Um, how some of this kind of took place in his life. And in, in, in hearing a story, I was reminded of the faithfulness of God um, 
to us as parents because if you heard all of Anthony's story, you I mean, he hasn't been the kid that he is right now his whole life, let me tell you. But um, he said one of the things that stuck out to him was that he had a mom and a dad that wanted to serve the Lord with all their heart no matter what. And it was the no matter what that um, I used to worry about that were going to be the things that would drive him away from the Lord because he witnessed the no matter what's just as much as we did. And, um, and he could tell a lot of stories about those. But it was just the faithfulness of God. What, what, what had stuck out to him that, that as we had been faithful to God, to be true to the calling in our lives, to walk with him, not just be in the ministry, but to walk with him, to be followers of Jesus, that that spoke volumes to him about the faithfulness of God in his life. And so this morning when he called me and he asked me that, I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, like, where, do I, where am I going to begin? Like, so I sat down, and because I wasn't really thinking about it, then I realized that it's been 40 years in December that I've been walking with the Lord. And I was like, how did I get that old? I mean, <laughs> where did all that time go? I used to be, as a young Christian, I look at those people that were walking with the Lord for 40 years, and I would just be in, like, amazement and awe that one day I could be that spiritual. But it's just really, <laughs> it's just not that way on the other side. Um, I grew up in uh, a home with parents that are still married, um, and not that they had a perfect marriage because they had a lot of problems, but they're still married, and um, it's funny because a couple years ago, my dad said, Paula, I'm leaving your mom. I said, really, Dad? <laughs> You've been married for 100 years. Now you're going to go? Um, he didn't, but and they worked it out. But um, it was just kind of funny. I thought he lost his mind. But um, So I grew up in a home where uh, my parents, my dad had gotten saved as a young, young man, and uh, my mom was raised Catholic, but hated the church, hated the hypocrisy of things that she had seen because of different events that had taken place in her own life, and understandably so, but they had decided that they would not make a spiritual decision for us, um, that they wanted us to make that decision on our own, so what they would do is they would take us to church our community church, and they dropped us off at the door and then would leave. They never really, my parents never ever really went to church, have never gone to church, but they would take us there um, because they obviously had this need to want us to be exposed to that, but they would not be part of it themselves. Um, and so I remember going to sleep with my mom praying with me. Um, I always had a knowledge of God. I always believed in God. I always believed he existed. I c there was never a time in my young life that I doubted that there was a God. I um, had my own Bible. I grew up reading it, praying when I was in trouble. Um, went to Christian school for most of my young life. Um, and then I went to junior high and uh, got in a whole lot of trouble because um, <clears throat> I was a fighter. Some 
people never believed that, but I was pretty much a little street fighter. <laughs> so um, in my school, where I was going to school in junior high and high school, it was really during a lot of the riot years. And so uh, the black girls had razor blades in their hair, right? And they had razor blades in their hair. And the Mexican girls had um, steel pipes running down their pant legs. And this is the kind of like where I grew up, in the town where I grew up. I grew up in Fontana. It's also the place where the Hells Angels were first started. And my cousin was a Hells Angel. So there was a lot of this sort of like, you know, influence in my life. But um, I had a lot of Mexican all my Mexican friends thought I was Mexican, but really I'm Italian, but I never told them any differently. I had a lot, I was really close to a lot of the black girls, and so the black girls were sort of my protection, and so, but yet still I had a lot of fights. I was in a lot of fights. Had a reputation for that, and I also grew up in a home where as the oldest daughter, it was expected of me to do whatever was needed to be done to protect my younger sisters whatever that meant. Um, so that's just how it was. So I, I really did have that reputation, and I grew up that way, and I was a little tough chick. Um, and But in that whole time, yet still aware of, you know, aware of God, not, I, I wasn't going to church or anything. I wasn't involved in a church anywhere. But I had a, because of all these fights and all this stuff, my mom took me out of that school and she put me back into a Christian school um, that she thought was going to reform me, but yet it was all those other kids that had got taken out of school and put over there, and we were all pretty bad. And so it was just really, it's a reform school, really, just a Christian reform school of just rebels. And so we were there just together growing. And it was like going to prison or something and just learning from each other. But in the meantime, there was a girl there that um, her, her family went to church, and so I would go to church with her, and I frequently got saved, frequently, every Sunday morning. And I would go in the back, and they would give me this speech, and, you know, I would repent, and then the next week I would come and have to get saved again because it was never really real to me. Even though I had all this information, you know, it was just never, there had never been really a real surrender in my life. That didn't come until after I was out of high school and I was 20 years old. Um, and it came through just events, maybe through the high school years, but just when my life was at a place where everything in my life was falling apart and the day that I received the Lord into my life and really gave my life to the Lord, just hours before that, I had been standing out in my front yard, screaming and yelling at the top of my lungs, yelling at God for the way that I felt like he had treated me. Just hating on God. Just screaming. Shaking my fist literally in the air at God. Well, obviously he didn't strike me dead or anything, because I'm still here, but... <clears throat> But that day, um, this friend of mine whose life had been a complete shambles, who he had tried to commit suicide, um, was there at this time. And I had been wanting him, his life, he had gone to church and he had found Jesus and his life had been completely and totally transformed. The evidence of his life, just the, the transformation of his life was so dramatic that I just wanted whatever he had. 
I just wanted that. I just needed to have that peace in my life. So he took me to church, and it was on that same day um, when I had just been railing on God that he brought me there, and, and I met Jesus that day. And I truly, it became a reality. It was truly real. I truly gave him my heart and my life because I had no, nowhere else to go. I had nothing left. Um, and he was all that I wanted. And it became real. It was a true um, just surrender of my life to the Lord. It wasn't just being a Christian nominally. It wasn't just, it was truly what be, I began my first day with my walk with the Lord. Now, the process of transformation and sanctification in my life it wasn't, you know, like that. And it was a process. And in reality, it continues to be a process in my life 40 years later. But it was a process, and I did a lot of stupid things as a young Christian um, because I just didn't know any better. But it was all the process of learning, and it was God's grace and God's faithfulness to me and God's forgiveness in my life repeatedly just show it, revealing, revealing himself to me, revealing himself to me, revealing himself to me. That, you know, that verse, like what Alex, the verse, for yet while I, for while I was a sinner, yet he still died for me. He, during that process of sanctification and bringing me closer and closer to re- the reality of walking with him, what that really meant, there was just so much work that had to be done in me. I had grown up in a family um, where, yeah, they were dropping us off at church until we just no longer wanted to go, but I was also by their lack of not really being sure of what I was being exposed to, they were also allowing other things into the home because I also grew up in a home that was very open to um, demonic things. My, my family was very much evol- involved in occult things. So all of that influenced my life. So after coming to the Lord, there was a battle for me that I... I really had to battle some things in my life because the, because of the things I was exposed to as a child, um, even up into my early teens, through this occult exposure of waking up to seances in my house, of being brought to places with, where there are spiritual guides, of, of just truly be living in the dark side many times, um, I had been exposed to a lot of things that I had really had to be set free from. The strongholds were great, and there were significant times in my life where there, I was really doing battle to be free of those things that were controlling me. And that's why, you know, I read these verses, and I know the truth of them, that they overcame him by the power of the blood and the word of their testimony, because I've been delivered from all of that. And I, understu- and I understood that in my life. I was, as he was reading those verses this morning, um, it beginning in verse 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. And for me, I think that's what it was. Salvation came. The power came. The kingdom came and took a hold of me. But the authority of him in my life, that was a process. That part was a process. Even not, not even that long ago, I was talking about it with the women the other day, but recognizing 
do you recognize that you have an authority in your life? Do you, we have an authority in our lives. And if we walk out from underneath the authority in our lives, we set ourselves up to be exposed to other things. And that authority in our lives is our protection. And I began to understand that very early in my walk with the Lord. And, um, you know, they, uh, when he asked me this morning, what would I, how could I wrap up 40 years of a life of walking with the Lord? What would I, in one word, and I would just have to say that it was the faithfulness. The faithfulness of God to me through all the things, through all the stuff, that through all the no matter what that I have been through, that God has always and continues to be who he says that he is in his word. He is faithful, that he has been faithful to me in my darkest, darkest, darkest times when death seemed to be the better place. He has been faithful to me in my losses and my sorrows, those when the accusations and the condemnations have not come, they've come from those I loved, those I have shared my life with, those I have given my all to when I have felt betrayed and abandoned even by God, that God has always, always been faithful. And when I can look back and see what I've been through and see the faithfulness of God, and I can look forward and know that the faithfulness of God goes before me. Because my story is nothing apart from him. My story means nothing without him. He is my story. He is the reason that I go on. There was a period of time in my life, and I've shared this before, where I was in a bad place. I, I just I wanted to give completely up, and, and Annie stood over me. I was on my knees, and she stood over me, and she was pointing her finger at me like she does. If you guys have ever had Annie point your finger at you. Uh, she was pointing her finger at me, and she was speaking to me, and she was saying, the devil wants you. The devil wants you. You've got to fight. You have to fight. And in her doing that, something snapped in my brain. I mean, just, it was, I went from darkness to light in like a split second. And I, and I entered back into the battle. And my life began to turn around. Because, yeah, the devil does. He wants to destroy us. He wants to keep us hindered and held back. He wants to keep us bound up in those strongholds. But God doesn't, we don't have to be. It's just like what he said. The reality is, is that we have been set free by the blood of Jesus. The reality is, is that every day I wake up, I belong to him. I wake up every single day sealed in the Holy Spirit with the mark of redemption on me. I'm sealed. I have that every day. I have that power at work in me every single day. And when the accusations come, and they will, I can rejoice in the fact that I belong to him and that he will never forsake those who belong to him, ever. He will always be there. Um, this morning, I, 
And like, I didn't know that he was going to make me do this, but um, I wrote down something. Um, well, I wrote this yesterday. Great has been our Father's faithfulness, new every single morning, and at the close of every day, his grace abounds. He faileth never. It is part of our nature, to, I copied this part from the book, it's part of our nature to live in the yesterdays of life, in the days that come back not again. We relive the strifes, the bad habits, the heartaches, the stumbling steps. With tenacity, the past does cling and hinder us from pushing out and launching into the deep. Rather, let us choose to remember and rejoice in the faithfulness of our God and his sustaining grace in all things. And really, that would be my testimony, and that would be what I would want to do, because um, I know that at the uh, beginning and the end and the middle of this new year, he will be there. And I will look ahead to the new beginnings and the continued lessons in my walk with him as I push forward to grab hold of all he has for me. Because I have not been faithful to God. I have, I could not, this morning I heard somebody say on TV, I was just wanted to start yelling, but that, you know, when things are just overwhelming and things are just so difficult that there's a voice, that the prophetic voice will rise up inside of you and it will echo the voice of God that, and it will say, you've got this. Well, I can tell you that I don't have this, Okay. In my own, we don't have this. We don't, that, I just, it really, it just made me angry. But because apart from him, we are nothing. Apart with, from him, we have nothing. And the longer I walk with the Lord, and, you know, we laugh about this, women say, because we're all old, but, but even Barbara would t- testify to this. The older that we get in the Lord, the longer I've walked with the Lord, the only thing I know more is how much more I need him. Uh, how much more dependent upon him I am, how much without him I am nothing, and that the, the wisdom and the strength and the knowledge and the ability to face each day only comes through his power at work within me, and that Jesus lives in me and that I belong to him. Um, I'll just close with this, that um, I gotta find it. This was this morning. Um, I was reading in Psalms 119. And I got to this verse. Where is it? Oh, verse 5 in Psalm 119. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Then I would not be put to shame when I consider your commands. And before this, David was talking about how blessed the man was who followed the decrees of the Lord and did the things that God said. And then he gets to this verse in verse 5, and he's like, oh, that I could be like that. Oh, that my ways would be steadfast in obeying him. And that really, truly is the cry of my heart. Um, that I would, um, even still, my desire, I, I still have this, this long, longing, this hunger, this thirst to know him more. Um, to see him more, to um, reveal him more in my life so that others might really truly see that there is truly a Savior in heaven and that there really is true a living God that can change our lives and set us free. Um, In verse 14, there's a verse and it says, I rejoice in following your um, statutes as one rejoices in great riches. And that verse really struck me because 
is that true? Like, you know, Alex was talking about the importance of the word of God in our lives. And while we were in Israel, Anthony had uh, Richard and I teach on First Peter 3. And I was supposed to teach this group of uh, like 20, you know, uh, single women about submission. Really? <laughs> so <laughs> it was funny. It was kind of funny. But so I'm talking to this group, and really it came back, to, it comes, you know, you bring that down to the reality, the simplicity of the fact is that submission is really, you know, it's, it's really about my submission to the authority in my life, which is the Lord. Am I submitted to the Lord? And as this meeting was closing up, and I said, the reality is, is that whatever you think about the subject, you have to go before the Lord, and you have to seek it out, and you have to seek him and ask him to reveal the truth here that is hidden in these, these verses here. But the reality is, is that we all have to be in submission to God's word. There, we have no excuse for that. There is no excuse. We all have to be submitted to God's word. And if anything, the faithfulness of God in my life to this day has made very real to me the power of God's word, and the fact that I need to be more submitted to it and walking in obedience to it. And that's all. First John 5 says this, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's the testimony. You either got Jesus or you don't. The third point, which we're not going to talk about much, is they, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They, basically, they were going to follow Jesus no matter what. And some of them did face death. There is a cost. It may even be death, but the victory is sure. The victory is sure. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So I want to tell you to, <clears throat> excuse me, today to keep fighting. But don't try to fight in your own strength. Call upon the name of Jesus. That's the battle. That's where the battle is won. But on the other hand, maybe some of you you don't have a story, and today you could begin your story. Today you could, you could start that story, that testimony, the evidence of God in your life as you surrender and say, yes, please come into my life. I, I need something in my life. You can maybe, I don't know every one of you where, where you stand with God. I don't need to. I just need to let you know that you can take that opportunity today to let Jesus be your Lord, your Savior, that His blood will cleanse you and wash you, forgive you. He who has the Son has life. That's open to every one of us. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending your Son Jesus, the Savior of the world. Good news of great joy that will be for all the people that in the town of David, a Savior is born. He's Christ the Lord. And that Jesus, you came and you, and you didn't shrink from what the Father asked you to do of, of giving your life for us. You gave your life. No one took it from you. You gave it. Your blood was shed 
that we might be forgiven, that we might have eternal life and live in heaven with the Father and with you and the Spirit forever and ever and ever. We thank you for that, Lord. We know that there's nothing in us, nothing that comes from us that is worth anything, really. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We are nothing. We have nothing. But in you and with you, we have all things. The enemy can't have a hold of us. You're protecting us. Your protection is sure. Your victory is certain. Thank you, Father, for the blood of the Lamb in my life, in many, many lives, here in this room and in this, on this planet. And, and for those maybe who want to begin their story today, Lord, I, I know you know every heart in this room. You know every thought, every person perfectly inside and out. And maybe there's one, maybe two, maybe more that want to simply say yes to you today. And I, I want to encourage you that the Father's listening and, and Jesus is there waiting, ready to come in and be your Savior. And all you have to do is simply open and say, yes, please. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I, if you are who they say you are, prove yourself to me. And I know that he will. So simply ask him, say, please come in. Show yourself to me. Bring the evidence, the testimony in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.